about with Joel and Tina. Hi. Hey. So we are taking a look at Nehemiah. Ooh, a new study. Right. Do Yay. you know who the tallest person in the Bible is? Well, it's not Nehemiah. It's not? You no. don't think it's Nehemiah? No, it's not. <laughs> he might have actually been the shortest person in the oh, Bible. Oh, the shortest person yeah. in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, man. Yeah. Shoot. Yeah. If only we had done this like 12 hours earlier, I may have gotten that joke right. <clears throat> that was great. <laughs> Do you know who the shortest person in the Bible is? Uh, who? Nehemiah. Oh, nice. Actually, I like it. Actually, it's Bildad the Shuhite. Bildad, right. It's not Nehemiah. It's, it's Bildad the Shuhite. Right. right. So, Nehemiah is one of the, um, is he minor? It's kind of a small book. No, he's, he's not, not a prophet. He's not a prophet? He's not considered to be a prophet. No. Nope. Really? So this is just part of the history. Yes. Um, kind of like kind of like Esther and well, those, those small own, books. Well, I'm Esther the, has her own stuff going on. Well, but I'm on. saying, you look at Esther, as Esther is a history of the Jewish people it's from right. a certain perspective, and right. so is Nehemiah. The historic. So like yeah. Ezra, yeah. Yeah. Um, Nehemiah, yeah. Esther, yeah. is there another one in there? Yeah, probably. But these are not prophets. Nehemiah is not a prophet. That's why you don't find it with the prophets. I mean, right. Because you're looking, you're like, well, where's Nehemiah? It sounds like a prophet. But then you'll look in your Bible, you're like, oh, Nehemiah's not a prophet. No, he's not. Why isn't he? Well, it's because his book is not a prophecy. And so. Right. He was not a prophet. Right. So that's why he's with the histories. A a prophet is a very specific role in the Bible. Yeah. Not a good role, actually, for most of the prophets. Yeah. (laughs) Doesn't end well. No, it doesn't. Except for Elijah. It ended well for him. But okay, uh, sure, yeah. it did. You're right, but You're right. yes, so and this is set in a time that the Israelite people have been taken into captivity, right? This is the Babylonian exile, 586 BC, right? So Babylon came in and they tore everything up, they went to town, they destroyed the temple, they did, they took everything that was inside the temple and put it in their own. Little larders, I guess, would be the they right word. They took stuff away from the temple. Right. Right. All the valuable stuff. Who knows what actually they took away? I mean, well, significant stuff. It's in his book. So, but um, yeah. we don't have access to his. But oh, Solomon's book. Not Solomon. Oh. Um, the king who the king of Babylon. All, yeah, the king of Babylon yeah. took all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, we don't know. Um. So yeah. So seventy years of exile. It's it's getting close to the end of those seventy years. Right. Which means the the exilees are now starting to come back a little bit. Yes. Yep. In fact, um, the book prior to Nehemiah is Ezra. Ezra. And in that book, Ezra has come back to Jerusalem and he has built the temple. But what he has not done is rebuild the wall around the city. Which is important. Right. 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 So, and that's what a lot of what Nehemiah is about, is about that rebuilding of the wall. It's about saying, you know what, we are a city. And in order to to declare that, part of what we need to do is build this wall. So I'm going to read from the NIV, but I have, if you're reading on a digital device, this will not be exactly the this same. This is the old NIV, not the new NIV. <laughs> well, it's not the old, old NIV. It's like the in-between NIV. Anyway, <laughs> 
we, now you're gonna that's like people. a whole nother <laughs> podcast that's so right which NIV is which uh, so yeah. this, this is, is not the newest it's not the mm-hmm. latest it's the 1986 version of the NIV right <laughs> so the words of Nehemiah son of Hekeliah and I don't know if I've told you guys this before but if you run across a name that you don't know just say it with confidence and Boom. you've said it correctly that's right so <laughs> the words of Nehemiah son of Hekeliah in the month of Kislev in the 20th year while I was in the city of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your ears open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Ah, there's so much good stuff. There is. In, in this passage. And if you've never read through Nehemiah before, you might like, man, why Nehemiah? Well, you'll find out. If you listen to this one and you stick through us through the rest of Nehemiah, you'll recognize there's some really good stuff happening in this book, some stuff that we can still really uh, take for ourselves today, really apply to uh, what we're going through in terms well, of, you know, uh, heartache, disappointment, rebuild, community, growth, all that sort of good stuff. That's in Nehemiah. We are yeah. off to a good start. Well, I love, I have this underlined in mine in verse four. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard these things. I sat mm-hmm. down and what for some days I mourned mm-hmm. and fasted mm-hmm. and prayed. Mm-hmm. And I think that those things, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think fasting and prayer sometimes do go hand in hand. Mm. And I think that it can be a part of mourning. But I think within his story, it's also a part of, of showing, you know, how much, like, I think it's part of repentance as well. That when we repent, there is mourning and there's fasting and there's prayer. That when we repent of something that we know that we've done wrong, which is what he's seen here. He's yes. Like, you know, like the people are back, but they're not doing what you told them to do. <clears throat> they're still hiding as if there's something to be afraid of. Well, and there, there was a reason why they went in exile for 70 years. Uh, it wasn't because God was trying to get vengeance on them. It was God 
was trying to get them to repent, and they would not. And this was the only way that they would get to a place of repentance. If you read through the prophets, especially Jeremiah, who had an incredibly difficult job, he had to tell the people of the, before the exile, hey, guess what? People are coming, and they're going to come for you. And that's what the Lord tells you, that he's going to allow this to happen unless you repent, and they didn't. And so it's so key that as they're starting to return back to Jerusalem, that they come with this sense of repentance, this sense of confession, this recognition that, yeah, they have sinned. They have broken God's covenant of love. It's not a covenant of anything else except of love. And that's what is so key to remember is that the God of the Israelites, the God of Jesus, the God that we serve still to this day, has a covenant of love for us. And that is so amazing. Well, and I think that <clears throat> it's important to remember that even though it's an unbreakable covenant on God's part, right. we still have a responsibility on our part. Exactly. Right. That's what sin is. It's it's this breaking of God's covenant. Okay. <laughs> Good. Yes. <laughs> you... It's not where God's broken the covenant. It's where we've broken it. It's where we've turned away. And we may not see it. We may not even think it's a big deal. But God's the one who created the covenant, and God's the one who is able to keep the covenant. And so when we break away from it, we may not see that, but God always sees. And that's sometimes the struggle, is that we say, well, who is God to tell us what to do? Well, God's the one who created the covenant in the first place. Right. Well, and, and I think that your true repentance of that sin does include this idea mm. of mourning. That once you see what you've done and once mm -hmm. you see that you've broken the covenant, it, mm -hmm. it should be heart-wrenching. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And that's how you know that, I mean, it's like when, when you have a small child and you say, you say you're sorry. <laughs> and they go, sorry. Yeah. Mm. The, the, that's, that's not what you're really looking for. That's not what God's looking for. Right. God's not looking for a word. God's yeah. not looking for you to say, Lord, right. I'm sorry. What God's looking, looking for, for is, is repentance. Is a broken heart. Yeah. And in, in that you see the error of what you've done. Not that God wants you wandering around sad all the time. What God wants is for you to see it, to mourn over it, and then to turn away from it. But the only way to yeah. turn away from it is to turn towards God. Right. Any direction that's not towards God is still away. <laughs> and it's right. still into sin. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it, it's... One perfect way. Right. One degree off is still one degree off. Right. And, you know, they, they talk about that sailing stuff. If you're one degree off when you start, when you get to where you should be, you're, like... Or space. You know, miles, <laughs> an infinite number of miles off course. That, yeah, that the, one degree makes a huge difference when, right. you, when you do the trajectory out. Right. If you're not familiar with that, you know, Google it. It's, it's worth looking into, though it is kind of scary. You might never get on a boat again, but that's okay. Ah. <laughs> well, back to the text. So here we have Nehemiah. He hears this terrible news. He sits, he mourns, and then he prays. And I think he's... Uh, presenting us with this amazing model of what it means to be faithful because Nehemiah we have to remember is still in exile he's still in Babylon he's in the palace of the king we'll find out more about that king in later chapters 
Um, we'll find out more about the role that Nehemiah has. But right now, all we know is that he's in exile with everybody else. He gets these news that he's been waiting for, and he cries out to God. And, and that, this is just a, a figure of faithfulness. And it's this figure of faithfulness that shines through everything else. And that leads to this great prayer in the text. Right. I mean, the, one of the things I love about this prayer is that Nehemiah says, uh, you know, Lord, you said this. Yeah. Rem- remember, you remember what you said? Yeah. <laughs> you remember what you said when you wasn't angry? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love that. The, the, you know, there's this whole... Um, beginning where he's like oh you're a great and awesome god you're amazing you do all this great stuff oh i just can't it's just ah it's amazing (laughs) and then he's like but you remember what you said right as if god could forget yeah (laughs) that's probably one of my favorite parts of any prayer in scriptures is when when the person who's praying says um so, Lord, you remember when you said this? <laughs> yeah. Well, what, what Tina's talking about is uh, verse 8. Yes. He goes, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you. Ha! That happened. Right. <laughs> but then, verse 9, if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are the furthest horizon, I will gather them and bring them to a place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Well, that's where Jerusalem is. That's in Judah. That's where the temple is. That has already been worked through. And so there's this sense that is say, hey, God, you promised this all the way back to Moses. Well, you made this promise that if we turn away from you, we'll be in exile. But if we return to you, you'll bring us back. Right. And so is this recognition of God's promises. And, you know, it's good to remember that in prayer. It's good for us to remind that of ourselves. And that gives us hope. If we know that God is true to his word, if we know that God cannot lie, if we know that God does not backtrack, if we know all of these things about God's character, then if we can remember them, then when we turn to God in prayer, we can say, God, I know who you are. You are faithful, you are true, you are loving, you are just. And so when you pray, pray with those things in mind. And that's exactly what Nehemiah does. His prayer for his servants, uh, for asking God to be attention, is to grant success based on what he knows about the Lord already. Right. And we'll see later on that this whole, like calling on the name of the Lord mm-hmm. will cause Nehemiah to do some things that are not ordinary. Yeah, like, for sure. He'll refer back to it like, well, I already said that the Lord's with us, so... <laughs> yeah, I know you're not really happy about that, but you know the Lord is with us and the Lord is faithful, so I'm going to go with that. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I this whole thing is leading up to... I think that very last line is yeah. kind of an intriguing line. Well, that because that is like a lead-in to the second chapter. Right. <laughs> well, you know, what difference does that make? Oh, I was a cupbearer to the king. Well, it tells us that he had a really important role. Right. The, the, when yeah. people were in exile, they didn't just go into exile and be... Right. They weren't prisoners. Right. They could they, get around. Right. Let's remember Daniel. We're familiar with Daniel down in the lion's den. Well, Daniel is living at the same time with Nehemiah. Okay. They're contemporaries. Daniel was a prophet based in Babylon. 
So he was around the same time as Nehemiah. Now, he might have died by this time. I, I don't remember exactly. But he was at the Babylonian exile and with Daniel everyone else. Daniel lived through a bunch of kings. He did. He did. Yeah. So, I mean, Nehemiah is coming at the end of the exile where Daniel was more the beginning to the middle with uh, Nebuchadnezzar mm-hmm. and Balthazar and other... As opposed to Artaxerxes. Right. So Artaxerxes was later. And so, you know, Daniel's in Babylon... Uh, Nehemiah is in Babylon, Ezra is in Babylon, and that's what we have to, you know, picture going on. And so, what are these people doing? Well, Daniel had access to the king because of God's power through him. And here we have Nehemiah, a really critical role, the cup bearer to the king. We might not say, hey, what kind of deal is that? That was a big deal. Right. I mean, you're the cup bearer. That means that you're in charge of what goes in the cup. That you're in charge of that drink. You're in charge of what the king is drinking. And if there's any poison or if there's any issue. <laughs> or if it doesn't taste good. Right. So uh, there's a lot of trust there that the, that, the, uh, that the king has with Nehemiah. I mean, not just any schmo off the street. King. Right. Right. He knew the king. Right. And, and Intimately. Right. And so we'll see how God takes that. You know, and that's a good lesson for us is that you know, when God uses us, when God asks us to do things, he doesn't ask us to do things that are outside of our own parameters of where we already are, of what we can already do, the places that we are. That God takes the gifts and the places that we already are, and he doesn't ask us to be any different. Right. So... You know, there's that whole idea of, well, if I, you know, give my life to Christ, then that means he's going to make me move to Africa. <laughs> well, well, that might be true. Here's the here's the truth of it. It's going to be much more difficult to move into Africa. He's going to ask you to love your neighbor. Because <laughs> you have a neighbor. Right. Yeah. You have a neighbor. Yeah. He's right. going to ask you to be where you right. are and to right. rethink how you're right. living life there. If God asks you to move to Africa, it's because you were already moving in that direction. Right. You already had that passion. Right. You already had that thing that you wanted to do. So... That's exactly right. So the fact that we're told that he's the cupbearer of the king, meaning that God's going to use his position. And we see that in Esther as well, where God uses Esther and her position as queen to help her people. And here, uh, Nehemiah is uh, being afforded that same opportunity where God is going to use him. And because of that, something really amazing is going to happen. Yeah. Well, I I think that that it's a difficult lesson to learn is that God is orchestrating parts of our lives mm-hmm. in order to be used at such a time as this. Which right, is there the you line, go. Which is the line from Esther, you know. Right, maybe, for such a time as this. Maybe you were chosen queen for such a time as this. And yeah. Nehemiah was chosen to be cupbearer for such a time as this. Right, and he didn't know. Right. I mean, it wasn't like he became cupbearer right. so that he could help rebuild the wall. Right, it wasn't like he said, hmm, I need to get the king to give back some stuff so right. that we can go build the wall. But no. you know what? Who did know? It was God. Right. God put him in that position so that when the time was right, he would be able to use that position. And God still does that today, that God still puts us in positions at when the time is right, that we'll have that opportunity to work for his kingdom and do good things. Right. Whether that position is a housewife yep. or a school teacher yep. or a bus driver yep. or a convenience store worker, whatever it may be. A politician. A politician. <laughs> I don't know about that. Well, there's scripture about that. So. Yes. But in all places, at all times, with all gifts... 
God puts us in places to do good work. And, yeah. um, you know, part of our own journeys is to be open to that and to be aware that, that God has use for us no matter what our gifts are and no matter where we are. Well, on that note, we will probably say good night. Yes, good night. Well, probably not good night. It might be good morning. It might be. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> well, thanks for listening along today. Yeah. Um, feel free to leave us a question. You can find us online at joelantinatalk.com. And you can find us on Instagram. Ooh. I think it's it's some crazy name, but you can get to there off of the <laughs> website. Some crazy name. Well, it's like, what's that about with Joel and Tina? So it, it's very yeah. long. Okay. But mm-hmm. yeah, so leave us a question online if you have one. We would love to uh, hear your thoughts on Nehemiah, and we will be with you again next week. Have a blessed day. You too. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>